So when Diana was nine years old, she's still on the beach in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And 100 nautical miles away, Fidel Castro's revolution was in full swing. And standing on the beach, Diana asked her mom, who was right beside her, Mom, where's Cuba? I can't see it exactly. Where, where is it out there? And her mom pulled her up close to her, and uh, they looked out at what looked like an endless ocean. And her mom pointed toward the horizon, and she said, there, it's, it's right over there. You can't see it, but you could almost swim there. Well, that was the day that a dream was born in Diana's heart, a dream of becoming the first person to ever swim from Florida to Cuba, to swim that distance. Uh, when Diana tried and failed in 1978, she was 29 years old, but she failed, and that dream went dormant for about three decades. Dormant, but it didn't die. In 2011, she tried and failed again. She failed again on her third and fourth attempt as well, but then on September 2nd, 2013, on her fifth attempt, 64-year-old Diana gave it one more try. Her motto was find a way, and that's what she did. She found her way through inky black waters, dehydration, hallucinations. She found her way through waters infested with aggressive white cap sharks and venomous box jellyfish. And 53 hours and 110 miles later, she fulfilled her dream and became the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida without the help of a shark cage. When she was speaking after this, her tongue was swollen, but she had something she wanted to say, and she said, there are three lessons, three messages I want to make sure that you receive from me. One is we should never, ever give up. Two is you are never too old to chase your dreams. And three... It looks like it's a solitary sport, but, but it's a team. Now, how did Diana do what no one else had done before? What enabled her to endure the physical and the mental punishment? And why would she do that? In her own words, she said, you must set your will. And it took raw passion, and it took vision, and it took true grit. But I want to make sure you catch what she said. Diana did not accomplish this dream all by herself. It took a team of people. Her dream team, Diana's dream team, was 35 people strong. Listen, if this is your first time here at MCC, my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor uh, here. And uh, just appreciate you being with us. And if you are watching this online, really appreciate you joining us there as well. We know that sometimes people will watch us there before they join us here. If that's you. Uh, thank you for being there, but we hope that you're here uh, soon as well. And this morning, we're taking a last look at the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And if you've been with us the whole time, if you've been kind of following along, if you've been reading uh, each week like we've asked to, you may have looked at what Adam said, the verses Adam had last week, and then what was underneath them. And maybe you thought we were done last week because you looked at what's after it and you go, man, it's just a bunch of names. What, I mean, we must be done. Do you remember Diana's third message? It looks like a solitary sport, but it's a team. Today, we're going to get a glimpse at Paul's team. We're going to see, right? I'm going to make six quick observations about them, and then I'm going to introduce them uh, to you because you may, here's what I'm wondering, the observations I just want to make sure we catch as a church, but as, a per, as, as indiv individuals in the room, here's what I'm wondering. When you hear their story, my guess is many 
maybe most, maybe all of us in the room will resonate with one of them. So let's check this out. Colossians chapter four, beginning in verse seven, Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Now he's coming with Onesimus, our faithful dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything uh, that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, I want you to welcome him. And Jesus, uh, who is also called Justice, sends his greetings. They, uh, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved, right, they've proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully uh, assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear, dear friend Luke, the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. All right, I wanna share these observations. I'm gonna do it quick. Uh, if you have your handout, uh, you'll note that they're there. So I wanna make sure you catch these. If you're on the YouVersion uh, Bible app, they're there as well. Uh, so uh, check this out. First observation about what we've read is Paul is surrounded. I wanna make sure you get this. Paul is surrounded by helpful people. Now I say that because Paul was surrounded by not well-known people not people that we would call household names, but you may have recognized a few of them. Probably Mark, if you're familiar with the New Testament, maybe Luke, because they've had books you know, that bear their names. Maybe if you were here a few weeks ago or if you've done some reading in the New Testament, maybe you recognized Onesimus. But few of us would recognize the others because people had around him not famous people, but he had people who were willing to help, willing to do whatever needed to be done. And in a few minutes, when I introduce these people to you, you are going to see just how helpful they were. But here's the second observation, you ready? They possessed, uh, these folks possessed a mutual love and a commitment. There was this love for God and each other that these people shared with Paul and that Paul shared with them. They loved each other. And this is obvious by the fact that they're actually still with Paul, because Paul is in, does anybody remember where Paul is? If you've been with us over the last seven, eight weeks, Paul is in prison, right? When he writes this letter, and it's dangerous to be known as a friend of a prisoner. As a matter of fact, if you are a friend of a prisoner in that day, uh, it's quite likely you are going to become a prisoner uh, as well. Uh, and so there was this tremendous amount of love and care and respect and commitment that existed between Paul and these folks that he has mentioned. Here's the third. These people possess different backgrounds and different gifts. So the people Paul gathered around him were not identical. As a matter of fact, they were very different. Uh, this group is made up of Jews and Gentiles. There is a doctor and a former slave. They had different gifts. Some of them were prayers, as we saw. Some were messengers, some were givers, some were fellow sufferers. They had different backgrounds. They had different educational levels. They had different gifts. It's kind of like MCC this morning. 
In this room, we come from different backgrounds. How many of you, show of hands, grew up in the city? You're a city kid. City. City. Seriously, how many of you grew up rural? Farm, maybe. Even a farm. All right. All right. How many of you haven't grown up yet? All right. Yeah, no, we, we know who you are. Uh, how, how many of you are early risers? Probably not. Well, I'm surprised. It's the 11 o'clock service. I would have expected you last hour. <laughs> uh, the rest of you late risers, if you get a chance, is that, I would assume, right? How many of you have outgoing personalities? I mean, you walk into a room and, oh, man, yeah. Uh, how many of you, well, you're, you uh, are introverts, person, personality-wise? You're introverts, right? Uh, okay, if we went through God has gifted you, man, it, would, it would be interesting to find out the differences. So without a show of hands, I just wonder, how many of you like to hold babies? I mean, you're just like a snuggler with babies. That's just kind of your thing, you know? Uh, how many of you are behind-the-scenes people? The last place you would ever want to be is up here. And, and it, I mean, you would just pass out faint. You would do something if you were up here in front of people. How many would rather work with their hands? I mean, you, it, you love fixing things. You take things apart just to put them back together again. Uh, you build things. How many like to teach. I mean, for you, the, the biggest kick is watching the light bulb come in in someone else's eyes when, you, when, you, when they learn something that you've just taught them that they didn't know before. Or how many like to sing? Or how many people like to organize? The reason I'm sharing all of this is to let you know that a healthy church, a healthy, effective church is composed of all different kinds of people. Fourth observation, Paul publicly affirmed his co-workers. And I love this. Throughout the book of Acts and his letters, 13 letters in the New Testament, there are more than 100 different Christians who are identified as being associated with the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, in this letter, Paul wanted to make sure that people around him were getting credit. So look at verse 16. Look at what he says. After this letter has been read to you, I want you to send this letter onto the church in Laodicea, and I want you to read their letter as well. When this letter is read, in that other church, not only were the names on display there in Colossae, but they would have also been on display in other cities as well. Listen, I, I believe Paul wanted everybody to know that his ministry was great, not because he was great, but because he was surrounded by great people. Number five, Paul considered them to be part of his team. Do you ever wonder, when you look at this list of names, I mean, some of them are just like, who are these people? Do you ever wonder if Paul ever looked at any of them and thought, you know, they're not really all that important to me? Kind of extra baggage, actually. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I just maybe need to cut them loose. They're kind of, do you ever think he thought, they're kind of slowing me down. They're kind of insignificant. I bet I could make it without them. Do you think, think he ever thought that? As a matter of fact, do you, do you remember where I said Paul was when, again, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Prison. It's really important because he even says, remember my chains. The reason that's so important is he knew that these folks were an extension of what God had called him to do because they were able to go places physically he couldn't go. And so God was using these people uh, together through his ministry. College basketball has started. I don't know if you've started watching or not, uh, but uh, uh, college basketball enthusiasts especially may remember a coach by the name of Al McGuire. He was the basketball coach who retired from Marquette uh, after winning the 1977 NCAA 
uh, tournament. Uh, he had a player on his team whose name was Butch Lee. Now, Butch Lee was an All-American. He gathered several Player of the Year uh, recognitions. He earned All-American honors when he was a junior and when he was a senior uh, in school. He was also selected the most outstanding player in uh, 1977 in the Final Four where he led the Warriors to the school's first tournament championship. And the university recognized all of this by retiring his jersey. He would go on to be selected 10th in the NBA uh, first round of the NBA draft. He was the best player on the team. And he knew it. He thought the whole game revolved around him when he was on the floor. So Coach McGuire sat him down his senior year and, and said, Butch, the game of basketball is a simple game. Let me see if I can explain this to you. Now, Butch, the game is 40 minutes long. So if you divide that between the two teams, the other team has the ball for 20 minutes and our team has the ball uh, for 20 minutes. So they've got it for 20 minutes and we get it for 20 minutes. For the 20 minutes that we have it, Butch, there are five guys on the floor from our team. And if you were to divide that out, that means each guy would have the ball for four minutes. A lot of math people in here. They'd each have it for four minutes. He said, now, Butch, this is important. You're very good. I know what you can do when you have the ball in your hands, but what I want you to know, what is essential for you to know is that your value to the team is what you do with the other 36 minutes of the game. That's what Paul is saying here. It's teamwork. It's not what you do when the ball's in your hand. It's what you do when you're helping other people. He knew it was not all about him, that God was doing it through all of them. And it's still true today. Last observation on your notes, not all the people were qualified. You may not know this by looking at that list of names, and this may surprise you, but of all the people that Paul mentions, none of them, not one of them, had a missions degree from a Bible college. Can you believe that? One, listen, one of them had been on, a, at least one of them had been on a mission trip before and completely washed out. One of them was a runaway slave. And I tell you that because there are people who believe God cannot or will not use them because they lack the proper qualifications. I like this, it's on your notes. God does not use me because I'm flawless, nor does he reject me because I'm flawed. As I willingly obey him and allow myself to be used, God accomplishes his work through me. Now, I share those observations because I want you to understand why, just sort of the, why his ministry was a success, right? But I want you to know these observations, these things we just pointed out, those principles about his ministry and about ministry in general are not the key to his success. You see, knowing that you need other people is not the key to success, the key to success is having other people around you. It's not knowing you need them, it's actually having them. So let's meet these uh, folks. These are the keys to Paul's success. And here's what I want you to do, if you would this morning, because these, are not in, these names are not in your notes. So what I want you to do is as I tell you about these people, you are most likely gonna resonate with one of them. And so when you do, if you resonate with one of these people, would you just write down what we have on the screen about them? It'll just be a few words. Just write down on the screen what, what they have, the person that you resonate with. And if you would, you're also going to hear about somebody that Paul worked with who will remind you of someone you know, family, friend, someone in your 
sphere of acquaintances, would you write down that name as well and share with that person what you heard this morning and why they remind you of the person in the Bible? So here's the first one, Tychicus. He was a trustworthy man. Matter of fact, this is one of those guys. Listen, if you were to meet Tychicus and get to know him for even just a little bit or to get some of his, uh, uh, hear a little bit about his life, you would probably say, man, you know what? That guy right there, that guy can be trusted. And you, you could trust him with anything. Warren Bennis said this, it's in your notes. Trust is the emotional glue that binds followers and leaders together. Now, there are two people on this list who followed Paul all the time with the exception of his first missionary journey. So after Paul took what or three missionary journeys, we talk about his three missionary journeys from the book of Acts. And with the exception of the very first one, he's always with him. You don't always see his name, but Tychicus is always with Paul. He, tra- he would travel in advance of him and he would travel with him at other times. Wherever Paul is, you can bet Tychicus is very close at hand. As a matter of fact, verse 7, I put it up here in the Revised Standard Version so you could see a different way of saying this. He will tell you all about my affairs. So uh, Tychicus, if there's everything that I handle, anything worth knowing about me, Tychicus will tell you. We need to understand that when Paul would write a letter like this, the, uh, like the one that he wrote to the church in Ephesus as well, uh, that Tychicus, because he delivered that one and this one, he would go deliver them, but he would not only, he didn't, he wasn't just that, he wasn't a mail carrier. He also went as a personal representative of Paul. He would go and tell everything that was going on with Paul. In that day, whenever someone delivered Paul's letter, basically would talk about his life. So he was, he was much more than, it was much more than a letter. He was Paul's personal representative, a person Paul could count on, trusted. If that's you, if you've got a friend, that when, you, when you heard that, then this is someone who can be trusted. Write that down so that you remember to tell them. Here's the second person, Onesimus, who is a man with a bad background. Three weeks ago, if you were here three weeks ago, uh, or if you wanna go to our website and and catch this series, whatever you missed, we shared his story. Onesimus, in a nutshell, uh, was a runaway slave. He had stolen some stuff from his master, uh, who also went to church with him here, and uh, he'd stolen some money, and he ran away. He runs into Paul in Rome and becomes a Christian. Verse nine is what Paul says about him. Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. So this is somebody, so Paul's story about Onesimus is much different than what they thought. He was once known as a runaway slave. That was his reputation. But now because of what God had done through Paul in his life, Onesimus is known as a faithful person and he becomes a credit to the society, to the culture, to his home church. On your notes, please catch this. The enemy will contend that your sin is so great that it disqualifies you for service. He will insist that God may forgive you, but he can never use you. Satan will tell you that maybe God will forgive you, but he will never use you. I would imagine that when Onesimus met up with Paul in Rome, that part of what Paul talked about was his story. And I don't know what you know about Paul's story. He kind of alludes to it when he writes his letter to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. So we all believe this. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
which I am the worst. That's, he didn't just throw that in to, you know, cheese it up a little bit. He didn't, that's not what he was doing. In my quiet time yesterday, uh, I was in the book of Acts. So I'm reading chronologically through the year. And uh, in the book of Acts, I don't know what you know about Paul's story. Before he becomes a Jesus follower, uh, the book of Acts tells us he was actually trying to destroy the church. So what I read yesterday was that he was pulling people out and having them thrown in prison because they were following Jesus. He was separating husbands and wives. He was separating parents and children. He was having that when you're introduced to, to him in, in the book of Acts, the first thing you find out about him is that he's at a murder scene. He's, he's giving consent to the uh, martyring of Stephen because of his faith. So when we say he's trying to destroy the church, literally, he's trying to destroy the church. And I would think that when Paul told Onesimus his story, that Onesimus had to have thought, man, if God could use a guy like that, I bet he could use a guy like me. As a matter of fact, we're going to say this out loud together, okay? I said, you ready? We're going to say this out loud. If God could use a runaway slave and a murderer, he can use me. All right, we'll say it one more time because I want to make sure you get this. If God could use a runaway slave and a murderer, he can use me. Someone here certainly needs to hear that today. There are those who have never served in church because Satan has gotten them to believe maybe that God can't even love you. He's certainly not going to use you. He's gotten you to believe and maybe you come to church because you're hoping that, you know, you'll get off some good time. God won't hate you as much. or so. I don't know. Maybe, but you are certain he'll never love you. And there's no way in the world he would ever use you. How could he use somebody like you? And it's a lie. It's a lie. Because he loves you. He created you and wants to use you for the sake of his kingdom. All right, here's the next one. Aristarchus, a burden bearer. He's the other guy who's always with Paul. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, when there was a mob in Ephesus, they were trying to get to Paul because they wanted to hurt him, potentially murder him, and they never got to Paul. Guess who they got to? Instead of grabbing Paul because they couldn't, they get to his friend Aristarchus. As a matter of fact, we find out also that when Paul was in a shipwreck, Aristarchus was there with him. And do you know where he is right now? Verse 10. Look at verse 10. He is right next to Paul in prison. Remember I said a little bit ago, if you become known as a friend of a prisoner, what's likely to happen to you? Likely to become a prisoner yourself. That's what's happened. He's now in prison with Paul because of his close relationship. He stayed with him through thick and thin. On your notes, false friends are like our shadow, keeping close to us while we walk in sunshine, but leaving us when we cross into the shade. Are you like that with other people? Do you, do you have someone like that in your life? Because you need to write that name down and you need to remember so that you can share with them afterwards. Next one is Mark, the man with a second chance. So Acts 13 tells us that when Paul and Barnabas, remember I said he went on three missionary journeys. His first one was with a guy named Barnabas, a friend of his. Uh, and so they're getting ready to leave and Barnabas's cousin, Mark, wants to go along with them. And so he goes on this first missionary journey, but somewhere along the way, he just wimps out. We don't know what happened, 
but he bailed on them. Maybe he was sick, so physically maybe he couldn't, or maybe he was homesick. We don't know, but we know that he just kind of, you know, left them in the lurch. He took off, and so they had to finish without him. But when they got ready to go on their second journey, second missionary journey out of three, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas says, hey, I'd really like to bring my cousin Mark. And, and Paul said, you are kidding me, right? That guy, he, he, he didn't even make it the first time. Why would we want to take him a second time? And they argued so sharply over this that they actually parted company and went different directions. And, but now, now at the end of, this, of Paul's ministry, not only is he with Paul, he's a valuable member of the team. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this, one of the, some of the last words that Paul wrote is that Mark is very helpful to me in my ministry. It's the perfect example of someone who failed but came back and was used in a big way. Someone who blew it, someone who walked away, but came back. Listen, you may be the one who needs this. It's on your notes. Failure is not falling down. Failure is staying down. If you have been knocked down, do not stay down. Is that you? Do you have a friend who needs to hear that? Here's the next person, Jesus, called Justice, a man with a name, for greatness. Does it always throw you when you hear that name Jesus even today? You know, I don't know if you knew this, but up until the third century, it was a very common name, especially within the Jews. And here's the thing. We don't, listen, with such a great name, we really don't know anything else about this guy. And for us, he's just a reminder that like his namesake, his greatness came from his servant attitude, behind the scenes kind of person. Someone said this, it's on your notes, all the world is a stage, but nobody wants to be a stagehand. Effective churches that are helping people begin and build their relationship, right? Listen, have people that we will rarely, if ever, see because they don't want to be seen. They want to be involved in what God is doing, but they don't want anyone to see them. All right, next person, Epaphras. Verse 12 tells us he was a man of prayer. I like this. You may have heard it before. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And it's when we get, it's when God's people get knocked to their knees, uh, we get down on our knees on behalf of each other. Listen, we can't be knocked down. When we get down on our knees on behalf of each other, we cannot be knocked down. Luke was a gifted man. Now, some of you know who Luke was. Luke was a doctor. Why do you suppose he was with Paul? Why, why is he traveling with him? As a matter of fact, after the first missionary journey, Luke is with Paul almost all the time. Yeah. He's actually the last one with Paul. Some of Paul's last words in 2 Timothy again, last words we have written from him are, only Luke is with me. Well-educated guy. Had the opportunity to have a lucrative career, to make a lot of money, and maybe, maybe he did. But he made all of those gifts subservient to God and placed himself under Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about um, being given a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that is. I mean, maybe it was a physical thing. It was maybe in a, we don't know. We, nobody knows. We've guessed, but nobody knows for sure. And although we're not told what it was, I wonder if it was physical. And maybe that's why Luke was with him. He was his personal physician. But here's a doctor who's willing to put aside his own personal advancement for the sake of the ministry. And so I put this on your notes, and I hope you'll put this on your refrigerator or someplace where you'll see it every day. Make sure the things you're living for are worth dying for. Make sure the things that you're living for are worth dying for. Here's the last one, Demas, a man who gave up. In this passage, I don't know if you noticed, he's the only one who is mentioned who has no comments with his name. 
Paul just writes, and also Demas. There's this interesting transition in his life. If you go to the book of Philemon, uh, toward the end of the New Testament, Demas, Paul calls Demas a fellow laborer. Here, Paul just mentions his name. In 2 Timothy, again, the last book we have written by Paul, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He just kind of faded out of the picture by his own choice. Listen, what I want you to see this morning is that Paul's ministry was not great because God used one person in a great way, although he did use Paul in a great way. But part of what made Paul so successful in what he was doing was the team of people with different backgrounds and different gifts allowed themselves to be used by God with Paul in this ministry. And when that happens, when people allow themselves to be part of what God is doing, regardless of their role, lives are changed. Lives are changed. Kelly Bates has come this morning. Uh, are we, well, you're giving me a, yep, okay. Kelly Bates has come this morning. I just wanna make sure to baptize her friend, Deborah. I just wanna tell you this. When you see Kelly uh, in just a moment, you're gonna go, I've never seen her up on the platform. You will never see her up on this platform, probably, by her choice. But through her friendship with Deborah, behind the scenes, she talked about Jesus. And now Deborah wants to give her life to Christ. So check this out. Thomas, our Lord. Jesus. Oh, Lord. Lord. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go ahead. Ready? Mm-hmm. I believe I believe that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God the son of the living God and I accept him and I accept him as my lord and savior as my lord and savior Deborah because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the lord and savior of your life you are being baptized in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the holy spirit and the promise of eternal life and when deborah was talking about that uh, i said is there anybody that you'd like to have baptize you is there anyone who's helped you in your faith journey and she immediately talked about kelly and uh, wasn't that fun to watch two friends in the water together I want to say, I just want to, if you are not involved at MCC today, today, I'm talking to you. Right, right now, I'm speaking to you. I've asked our staff to help me understand how many volunteers we need at MCC to be fully functioning with everything from greeters at the door to snugglers in our nursery, not their name, I just kind of made that up, I really like it, to facility caregivers, to those who help prepare communion, something you never see, but it happens behind the scenes. Everything that gets done here, and the number is just under 400 people for the year to be fully functioning. And to be clear, to be clear, we've never hit that number, ever. Which means there's some tasks that we know ought to be done that haven't been because there's not been someone in place to get them done. So we currently do not have those positions filled. And we know one of the reasons we ask, invite you into the game to serve is because we know that serving is a catalyst for your faith. It helps you when you serve in your sweet spot, 
It helps you mature as a follower of Jesus. And so on your connection card, everybody should have one of these. If you would, grab that right now. Everybody should have one of these. Or if you're electronically, if you're on the U version, there's, a, there's an electronic connection card on there as well. If you would, right, if you would, uh, put that in the offering plate today. Just mark, say, you know what? I, I would like to be contacted about this. And I know, I know exactly where my sweet spot is, man. I'm a baby snuggler. I'm a door holder. I'm a communion cup filler. I'm a whatever, you know, you, you already kind of have an idea because you've seen it. You sort of like it. And man, you thought you could do that. Just mark that. Or if you have no idea, just put, I have no idea. Uh, but just give us your contact information. You'll be contacted this week. We, will set, we may not be able to sit down with everyone this week, but we want to connect with you and set up a time to sit down with you. And I want to be real clear. We had our staff retreat in late September this year, which is later than normal, about a month later. And what we said at that retreat was, we're about 146 people short of what we need. And so we began to ask God every day. Just so you know, every day I ask God, our staff asks God every day, and maybe you would ask this as well. We've asked God to provide people for his work here, which by the way is a big ask. 140, uh, 140, what did I say? Six volunteers in October, November, December. We're asking God in three months to raise up 146 volunteers because we know we can't do that, but we believe he can and it's a big ask. I just want to say, you might be part of the answer to that prayer. You could be the answer to someone's prayer today if you let us know that. So we're going to come to a time of communion, and today it is a response to what we've been talking about. And, and if you've given your life to Jesus, there's someone who helped you do that, most likely a whole bunch of someones who were part of that as we receive the envelopes today that remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his body that was broken, the bread that reminds us of his body that was broken, the juice that reminds us of his blood that was given for us, would you thank God for that person who helped you come to know him? Pick at least one of them and just say, God, thank you. If it weren't for them, I might not know you today. And just, just and if you would, listen, uh, there, there are people who are right now, they've come alongside you and they're helping you grow in your faith. Would you just think of one of those people and say, God, thank you for this person who helped me get started and thank you for this person who is walking right beside me right now and they helped me a bunch come to know you. And if it weren't for them, if you want to think about it, God, thank you. And remember what Jesus did. And if you are not already, would you ask how you might serve him here to help other people who have not made that decision yet, but will come to that time just like Deborah, because someone like you who was not in the game decided you were going to get involved in what God is doing in this place to change lives for eternity as you remember? Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for what you have done in our lives, for the people you've used, for each one of us, there's been a Paul or a, a Tychicus or an Aristarchus or, or a Mark or a Luke. God, there's been someone, an Onesimus. There's been someone, a Paul, that you have used in our lives to help us come to know you, to begin the faith journey, 
And there are others that you've brought around us even now in our lives. Even today, we know there's someone even today that's walking right next to us. And when we fall down, they're right there, not to point a finger, not to judge us, uh, but, to, but to help us up. <laughs> they just reach down and help us up because they have fallen too. And they have also needed help up. And God, that we're so grateful that the cross of your son forgives us of our sins. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. And Spirit, thank you for living in us and walking beside us. As we remember today who you have used in our lives. And Father, as we think through how we might be used by you to help others. We remember that, Jesus, it begins with what you did on the cross and the empty tomb. May we keep that story going today. We pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.